Welcome to Slow American English, the podcast for learners of American English. I'm your host, Karen Tolliver. This is Plus Episode 2, Interview with ESL Instructor Gwen Campbell. This is the second Plus Episode. Today I interview Gwen Campbell. She lives in Florida and teaches ESL there. Note, there is no transcript for the interview, and it is in natural speed English. However, it is still a good listening exercise, and you can learn some study and teaching tips from Gwen. Here is something we didn't discuss in our interview. Gwen has a business making and selling soap. Check out her website at www.harmonysopery.com. Now for the interview. I'm here with Gwen Campbell. She's an ESL teacher in Florida in the USA. Uh, welcome, Gwen. Thank you for having me, Karen. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like, where were you born and so on? Well, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, but my husband and I have been living in Central Florida for over 30 years now, so it does feel like home here. And have you lived anywhere else in between? Yes, we lived for about four years in Illinois, right outside of Chicago when we first got married. Oh, that would be interesting. I bet it's a big difference between Chicago and Florida. Very big. Um, as far as interesting things to do, Chicago wins. But as far as weather, uh, I pick Florida. So you're living in Florida. Tell me a little bit about your education. Okay. I did go to college and graduate school, and I have a bachelor's, a master's, and a Ph.D. in mathematics and experimental psychology. So my background wasn't really exactly for teaching English as a second language, although I did focus on research behind good educational practices, how people learn and how to teach in general. So you do teach English as a second language. Where do you teach that? I teach that here in, in Lakeland, Florida. It's offered through a local church, St. Joseph's Catholic Church, and it's it's free and it's offered to the local people. Uh, most of my students speak Spanish and are from Central or South America. So why did you get into teaching English since you didn't really focus on those qualifications? This is kind of a funny story. I made friends with a young woman from Mexico who worked in a restaurant that we liked and she wanted to learn English. And she found out that the church, this is about 11 years ago or 12 years ago, that the church was going to offer these classes and they were looking for students and they were looking for volunteer teaching aides. So she talked me into signing up to be a volunteer aide and she signed up to be a student and she said, oh, we'll go together and have fun. And then maybe a week before the classes started, she discovered another school that offered classes that fit into her work schedule better than the church's classes. And so she abandoned me <laughs> and she, she went to the other school, but I had, I had committed to, to helping. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to abandon my commitment. So I went the first year as a volunteer aide and I loved it. And then I just kept going back uh, as a teacher the following in, 
in the years after that. It's it's I've been teaching there now for about eleven years. That's a long time. Is do you find that each year is different? Absolutely. The number of students range. In some years, it's as few as two or three. In other years, it can be almost twenty. Their backgrounds vary quite a bit. I have everything from students who who have college degrees in their home countries, all the way down to students who never attended at any schooling. You know, that came from a very poor part of Central America and didn't even go to first grade and barely read and write in in their native language. So. That's, wow. that's quite a challenge. And it is. You have a full spectrum. Yes, so I do. how often do you teach? How often is your class? We only meet once a week in the evenings, Tuesday for an hour and a half. And that's unfortunate for my students, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's all that between the what the church had available as far as space, when they had available space. And also, most of my students are working at least one, if not two two jobs so right right well I find that homework homework is very important if you can't meet your class more than once a week I agree and of course it's up to the student to find the time to do that yeah and what level do you teach I I focus on beginners we do um because I speak some Spanish so if if they're really frustrated you know, I can communicate with them mm-hmm. in Spanish. We are we are flexible in that, that we let each student pick where they want to go. Mm-hmm. We only have two levels, mine and then a more advanced level with the teacher who only speaks English. So sometimes students want to stay with me for the comfort of maybe they don't really need a beginning class, but they like knowing that the teacher can, can ex- talk to them in Spanish a little bit. Right. So we encourage them to move forward because you know, we know that's the way they'll really learn and grow. But if my students, you know, can't count or don't know their colors or, you know, mm-hmm. are real beginners. Do they get a certificate at the end of the course? We we do print out certificates, yes. The, the program itself is not accredited, so through any governing board. So that certificate is um, perhaps not as valuable as it might be in other programs. I gotcha. What about, uh, do any students ever ask you to teach them privately? Almost every year I have one or two ask for private lessons. Do you ever do that? I can't usually handle that. I do try to hook them up with with online sources of either searching for tutors or um, online programs that meet regularly. What about uh, tips you might have for these beginning students? I guess the most important tip I would have for a beginning student is don't let being nervous or embarrassed prevent you from getting out there and trying to communicate in English. Excellent advice. If you never make any mistakes, that means you're not learning and you're not growing. So if you keep yourself in a position where you won't make mistakes, you also won't get better. That's true. That's true. So I think that's the biggest basic advice. Is there anything more specific about pronunciation or learning vocabulary, anything like that? There are a lot of good resources online. There's um, whole uh, YouTube channels devoted to uh, pronunciation Mm -hmm. where each video will pick a particular sound or a particular contrast and talk about the physiology of your mouth and your tongue 
and give lots of examples. You can watch um, cartoons and news are two good sources of hearing examples. And again, just, just getting out there and trying. I think um, the more a student tries to speak in English, the more confidence they get. I agree. And it's a very good exercise in finding a way to say what you want to say, even if you think you don't know the word that you want to use. That is critical. That is key. Um, my vocabulary in Spanish is limited, and I'm also always often coming up with combinations of words I do know to try to explain things when I don't know the exact right word. Exactly. A great example is I was teaching my, my young friend from Mexico how to sew. And so I knew the word for fabric, which is tela in Spanish. And I knew the word for bed, but cama. But I didn't know the word for sheets. So I would say the bed fabric. And um, it gets the idea. And, and people would typically would think for a second if they hadn't heard it before, but then they would figure out what I meant. Oh, the yes. bed fabric, the sheets. Yeah. Exactly. Very good example of that. That's so important. I know when I'm trying to speak German, I have to do that very often because I know there's a word, but I don't know what it is. And so I use a combination of something I already know. And sometimes I'll use the, I'll ask the question, what's the opposite of? Sometimes I'll know the, an antonym. Oh, that's an excellent idea. And so I'll say, so for example, if I knew the word for fat, but I didn't know the word for skinny, I would say, what's the opposite of fat? Excellent. Any other tips for students? Yes, there's one thing that I learned in my, uh, in my education, formal education, that's very critically important for students, which is the best way to learn is what we call distributed practice. And what that means is you do a little bit every day. If you do just five minutes every day, you will learn more than if you spend three hours on a Sunday afternoon studying. Oh, good so information. Working in a big chunk of studying in a big chunk of time is not optimally effective. You want to do a little bit every day. Well, more every day is better, but it's more important to do a little bit every day. Um, there's lots of, of research that backs up that that's the best way to learn. Oh, that's very good news for students, too. Yeah, so who has three four hours? Exactly, exactly. So it doesn't matter how much time a day, as long as it's something. Exactly. Every day, if you can manage it. Exactly. Uh, do you have any other tips for teachers who want to teach beginners English or any other level for that matter? I do have some thoughts. Um, when I first started, especially because I didn't, I didn't have a background in it, there were people who tried to to push me into one particular teaching style. And I would encourage teachers to learn as many different methods and styles as possible and think of it as having a full toolbox with hammers and screwdrivers and wrenches. The more tools you have, the more likely you are to be able to build something. You don't just want to go around with a hammer treating every problem like a nail. So. I would say learn different techniques, try things and take notice of what works and what doesn't. Because depending on the student and the situation, it's likely that one thing's going to be better than another. But don't limit yourself. Excellent advice. And I like that you said each student is going to be different. So something a little different will work with each person. 
Exactly. There are two other pieces of advice I'd like to give to teachers. The first is, is while I don't think that any one method is always right, I do try to organize my classes around very little time of me lecturing and then activities that increasingly put the responsibility for generating and understanding language on my students. So I might explain a grammatical rule in five minutes and give examples, and then we might spend 10 or 15 minutes doing a whole class activity where everyone is, chip, is helping and participating a little bit, and then finally shift to a 20-minute activity where the students work in pairs or alone, and each student has a large responsibility for generating and understanding language. So I, I do like that general process of very little time of me teaching and a lot of time of them actively engaging with the material. Yes, that's valuable, valuable tip. I've seen teachers that talk the whole time, and that means the student isn't getting any practice. Exactly. And the very last thing is when you're teaching, this is hard, but you're looking for what we call a sweet spot of difficulty. If you make it too easy, the students don't learn anything because they know it all. And if you make it too difficult, the students get frustrated and will, will tune out. So you want uh, the sweet spot where it's just hard enough that they're stretching and they're being challenged and mm -hmm. they're learning without being overly frustrated. Very good. That's, that's really the goal, and that's a hard thing to, to get right sometimes, especially if you have a larger group on different yes. levels. Yes. But you, that's the goal. Exactly. How can someone sign up to take the class that you teach? Well, unfortunately, it's only available for local people, but really all they have to do is, is attend one, one day. It's um, offered free. When the day they come, they'll they'll sign up. We do keep track of who who signs up and how many come because we do apply for local um, grant money. Okay, and but tell I, us tell us where that is again. Oh, it's in um, it's through the Saint Joseph Catholic Church in Lakeland, Florida. Okay, and if if someone wants to get in touch with you, they can contact me as well. Oh, I can I can help them get in touch with you. Absolutely. If, as well. Um, do you have a web presence? Unfortunately, we don't. There's a total of three of us in the program, and nobody has the skills to set up a web presence, and, and we don't have any funding for that. So, oh, That's unfortunate, too. But yes. it's great that you offer those classes for free. That's yes. a really good community service. Is there anything else you would like my listeners to know? Well, I have one um, analogy that I hope helps your students feel more comfortable, all students feel more comfortable trying to get out there and trying to speak in English. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with mirrors. Um, your mother probably told you when you were little, treat people the way you would like them to treat you. Or, th or the golden rule, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's basically the golden rule. But but when I practice my broken Spanish, what I find is most people are like mirrors. And if I speak with respect and politely, 
then what they treat me with is respect and courtesy. And even when I make mistakes. So if I, if I project the right attitude, even when I make mistakes in Spanish, they're warm and supportive back. Every once in a while, you will find a person who is like a funhouse mirror. The mirrors that distort your appearance and make you look very short and fat or very tall and skinny. And sometimes when I try to speak in Spanish to another person, they're rude back to me or they're condescending because I made a mistake. But I just remind myself that behavior on their part is not about me. It's It reflects who they are as a person and it's not That's important right. to me. So I don't let that bother me or, or discourage me. And it's rare. If I try, even when I make mistakes, most people are appreciative and gracious. And that's true for when my students try to speak in English. That's, yeah. that's a very, very good point. I've seen this many times in many countries. If you're trying to make the effort, people generally appreciate that. And the one or two that don't, you don't have to worry about them. Exactly. It's not you, it's them. Okay, well, thank you for talking to us today, Gwen. Um, is there anything else, any other comments? Thank you for having me, and I wanted to thank you for your um, podcast series. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit advanced for my students, but I know the teacher in the more advanced class thinks it's an incredible resource for her oh, students. Good. That's and good to hear. So we really, we really appreciate you uh, going to that effort to make those uh, podcasts available to people, to, oh. to English learners. Thank you. Thank you. That's the podcast for this time. I hope you enjoyed this plus episode. Slow American English is written and produced by Karen Tolliver. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. For free transcripts and to subscribe to the podcast, visit www.slowamericanenglish.net. You can also download the podcast with any RSS feed reader such as Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Buy Slow American English workbooks on Amazon.com in print and Kindle formats. To support the podcast and become a patron, visit www.patreon.com slash slowamericanenglish. Contact me directly via email at info at slowamericanenglish.net. Theme music for this podcast is written and performed by S.W. Campbell and used by permission. That is Gwen's husband. Find more music by this artist at www.soundclick.com slash S-W-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. This has been Slow American English. I'm Karen Tolliver. Thank you for listening.